This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. The Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 232 for April MMXXIII. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, it's actually a miracle that I'm here with us today because 
my computer, my podcasting computer of 13 years passed away last month. And with it, it has taken 13 years of back the Oracle files. It oh, has no. taken nearly eight years of required reading files. And it took all of the files of Dear Reader. The good thing about having Tom is that he can send me some stuff and I might have some backups of BTO, but I'm scared to see what those backups are because I'll be, it'd be really sad. And then Dear Reader, I just have nothing. And the worst I think is really the images because I had basically templates for everything. And so it's now it's like starting from scratch. So I asked Tom, Tom, are you going to be upset if the images look a little different? And he said, no. So that's okay. But I am pretty bummed about Dear Reader. I, I think maybe I'm still in shock, maybe because I'm still in the trauma. I haven't felt it yet because I'm dealing with it okay. So the previous episode, I think there there was some audio stuff where I was trying silence on the new Audacity, which just looked really weird. And I think it was like cutting off some things. So I'll try to do better this time. But that was basically why. That was the quickest edit job I ever did. But we have resurrected like Stephanie Brown in the previous issue of Backgirls. And this is a huge Stephanie Brown episode of Backgirl the Oracle. And I thought, wouldn't it be fitting to have the greatest Stephanie Brown apologist there is on the socials, Ian Prime, aka Ian Miller. Welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you. And luckily, this was in advance. I kind of knew like a couple months out and said, hey, would you want to do this? Because I saw that Cass is going to be in a Robin book and Babs is going to kind of be in there. And then all of that, I'm like, oh, wow. So we're getting there where it's her super lengthy tenure as Robin. Now, before I came on here, Ian wanted me to come close to the camera just so everyone knows that I don't have bloodshot eyes. Because we are recording on April 20th, 420. I think at one point I knew why it was like the official marijuana day, but I don't remember anymore. So no bloodshot eyes were going to be okay. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, which bat family member would most likely smoke marijuana or have an edible if it were legalized in Gotham? And to be honest, I think it's be Stephanie Brown. And because Stephanie Brown would do it, absolutely, Cassandra Kane would do it. Absolutely. Donovan, you come at me with <laughs> if you so desire. So I'll put that down. So if, you know, listeners out there, if you feel like there's someone else, because thinking of everyone else is like super straight laced maybe Babs would take an edible. I don't know, but Batman definitely wouldn't. Damien definitely wouldn't. Um, Damien might for like a vision quest. <laughs> that's true, maybe, yeah. I don't the know. The one maybe, thing I will yeah. say about Steph is that her mother's an addict, so I think she might oh, not because of that. Oh, that is true. Yeah, she might stay, go the, yeah, extreme and away from that. Yeah. But is she an addict in this current universe? With rebirth. I mean, she's only showed up like three times in the universe, so we don't know. Yeah. So I don't know if Tim and Bernard or Bernard are. I think Bernard definitely would. (laughs) Yeah. Um. (laughs) But Tim might be too straight ways. But anyways, yeah, it was kind of a fun little thing of thinking, oh, who would, you know, if it were legal. See, I made it very concrete and, and all of that. So we'll move on. So, of course, I said my computer died. So you might be thinking, what has been giving me joy? So we'll move on to the Find Your Joy segment, a.k.a. Shag's Mac and Cheese of Comfort and Joy. Ian, I'll start with you. Is there anything that currently has been giving you happiness in these sometimes difficult times? I have been watching The Mandalorian, and I really liked Bo-Katan's religious journey in this season. Um, I actually have not. I still haven't watched Rebels. Uh, We've talked about that on email. (laughs) 
but I really I like Katie Sackhoff and I really like the the way she sort of comes from a she's like an ex-Catholic in some ways in that she like grew up with all these rituals but she didn't think they meant anything but then she sees something I'm sure it's gonna not be very spoilery if people haven't seen it but she sees something in the early part of the show and she goes on a huge religious journey and I found that very honestly I thought it was very thoughtful and emotional um yeah. I like that I think the first few episodes of the season I, I really wasn't sure where it was going and then when you well, first, first see terrible <laughs> then when you see Bo-Katan just hanging out uh basically like Batman and and being very I don't know curmudgeon and woe is me all her I friends like, left her she was What's there. Going? I know, but how did she know that he was cut? Co- there was like a funny r- reel that I saw where, how did she know? And she was probably doing something else in pajamas. And then she heard Mando come and then she ran into the throne room. Quickly got her yes. But I, yeah, I have loved seeing all of that and her bringing all the people together. And the season finale, I thought was amazing. I really loved, I, I would say that I loved her more than, this might be sacrilege, more than Mando and Grogu. In this particular, I mean, I still love Mando and Grogu. I'm not saying I don't love them, but like Bo's journey was like, I thought it was just really thoughtfully written and that that drew me in. And as I said, I really like Katie Sackhoff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting going from her being like, you guys are fanatics to actually because she's been cleansed in the water, uh, becoming and following the way and then hesitant when the armorer asked her to remove her helmet. I was like, wow, this is a this is a big change. So yeah, I thought that was great. It's funny. I actually interviewed Katie Sackhoff way back when because she was Sarah Essen in the Batman year one. Direct to video film. And this was like before I even knew who Katie Sackhoff was. So now it's just funny to think like I spoke with her. You know, Starbuck. And because then later I watched get Battlestar Galactica and, and all of this, of course. So, yes, I would agree that that's been great. I do recommend Rebels. You've seen Clone Wars? I've only seen about two seasons. Oh, OK. Because I'm not if you in can't, order. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. I know the animation is not, you know, that's tough to get into. I personally I actually really like... like the animation okay. of Clone Wars. I don't like the animation of Rebels. Oh, but, oh yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I watched a couple episodes in the middle and I was just not super impressed. I didn't think they were as thoughtful. So sure. I know there's a lot of good thoughtful stuff in there. And I did watch a lot of the last season. No, so it's not the last season anymore, but it was the last season when I watched it mm-hmm. where Ahsoka, you know, is uh, accused of being, right. does she, is she accused of murder or just like being a traitor? That's She's true. accused of something. And so yeah. she has to run away. So I watched that and I watched the episodes where the clone, you know, the chip plot, I watched that, right. um, but I didn't see the new seasons after that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then then Ezra, of course, I, I don't really care for him. But I mean, if you're going to watch Ahsoka, then you might want to watch Rebels. So yeah, Or I could just continue cool. watching stuff without watching the background and see how it works. You could potentially, but that's not proper nerdy behavior. So you might or get canceled. Or is it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, for me, my find my joy was last Saturday, I went to see Ali and AJ, which is the second time that I saw them. I saw them last spring. I remember I really loved it. And this is their tour from for their latest album with love rum and i was going back and forth back and forth whether i should do the vip experience which involves seeing a sound check and getting to meet them and get a picture with them and it was like the week coming i'm like you know what this is like once in a lifetime let's just do it so i shelled out some extra cash and did the vip 
therapy and it was just amazing. They're just lovely human beings. Got to talk with them just like very quickly, was praising them and just ever for so thankful for their uh, creativity and their beautiful relationship and their advocacy of different peoples and their activism. So that was great. And then the whole show was amazing. It was probably one of the best, if not the best concert that I've been to. Two hours of their music, they play the entire album, plus, of course, all of their um, or some of their other stuff. And their transitions were so tight. It's not like normally um, the musicians might play one song, stop and have a chat or a couple songs, stop and have a chat. It was like nonstop practically the entire time. And the transitions were just going from one song to another. And some songs you wouldn't expect to connect really well. Some they changed the tempo. So maybe something that you knew really well was fast. It slowed down. Uh, so it was just very great. And uh, they advocated for gun control because they survived a mass shooting last year in Tennessee. Yeah, their tour bus got shot up and six people died in that particular thing. And I bring that up mainly because we're going to be talking about gun control in the second half of this particular episode. So I guess trigger warning if you are um, a <laughs> Second Amendment proponent. So I think we're going to get into it now. So this is kind of a choose your own adventure type first half, where we are going to look at the super duper long tenure of Stephanie Brown as Robin, which happens to be what a 60 pages worth. I mean, that's pretty long. That's almost, you know, half of a young adult. It's a knife to my heart. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to be hopping around. So just follow us along. And we are going to focus more on the Batgirl issues, but it is relevant to have Steph as Robin and, and looking at these issues. So we'll start with Robin 126, the cover date. July 2004, and the publisher's synopsis, first appearance of Stephanie Brown, there it is, as Robin. Tim Drake has relinquished the cape and mask. Now Batman must name a successor, and his new Robin isn't a boy wonder at all. The girl wonder makes her startling debut. Okay, so I will say that the shipping in this is a bit nuts because it was nice to have some shipping with Tim and Steph. I feel like I don't see it very often uh, because I'm, I'm very uh, hop on, hop off with Robin whenever Babs is in there. But then you've got Tim kissing other girls and going out with other girls. And really only one of these can be explained because that girl forced herself upon him. And then we also have Bernard. Bernard is in this issue. <laughs> There's so much going on. But this is like pre... Bernard is shipping himself with Tim's stepmom. I know. Isn't that weird? And I was actually looking up because I thought, isn't this... Tim's now boyfriend. And so I looked up Bernard and then the current writer of this said he never intended Bernard to be or Tim to be bisexual. It's like, well, you may not have intended it, but it is what it is. So got to go with it. So we've got the war journal. So we're kind of setting some things up here. Unfortunately, Uh, we're going to be getting into the war games. So here's a question for you. Are you ready for this? Okay. Do you feel like both Stephanie and Batman have the wrong reasons in mind for becoming Batman and Robin? The fact that they're sort of both involving Tim. So that is an excellent question. And I mentioned this a little before. There is an issue of Wizard Magazine. (gasps) Look at that handsome guy. I know. He's great. Best (laughs) buddy. Where Stephanie actually fights the Penguin, which we'll see more of in the Batgirl issue. But Penguin just disrespects Spoiler. She's able to fight him off, but she's not able to defeat him. And he just mocks her mercilessly. And so she feels like 
becoming Robin is a way for her to gain reputation so she can defeat more significant foes. So instead of um, the way that, and this was also written by Bill Willingham. So it's part of the Robin run. And I'm really frustrated that it's never been collected in any of the War Games trades um, because I think it really does give an additional layer of motivation for Stephanie wanting to become Robin. And I think it is legitimate to want to have more training, want to have more visibility, want to have more street credibility. Because as it stands in Robin 126 is definitely a lot more Steph is feeling hurt because she sees Tim being kissed by this other girl and she's clearly having very bad communication issues with Tim. So there's just this whole dropped ball of communication going on throughout the entire issue. So if that were the only issue, only motivation, I would say it's sympathetic. I'm not like angry at Steph for that. But I think that if you know a little bit more of the backstory that almost no one has access to because it's in this magazine that's never reprinted, um, I think it does give her a lot more heroic um, motivation for becoming Robin. Now, Batman... We know from Donovan's interview with Chuck Dixon that he wanted to make Stephanie Robin for a full six months. So now that would be a truly long run as Robin. And editorial just refused to let him, refused to let him. And we know from interviews with Bill Willingham that he was the one who suggested to make Stephanie Robin because he knew Stephanie was going to die. Spoilers. Stephanie was going to die in War Games. So he said, let's make her Robin. And at this time, Tim is not Robin because his dad found out. So there's a vacuum. Um, obviously Tim was going to come back, but Willingham has said in a long YouTube interview that I do recommend people check out that once fans responded really positively to Stephanie, he wanted to continue with her as Robin because he loved the story of a veteran warrior, Batman, training a young squire like Stephanie into an elite warrior. And actually, when he returned to Batman two years ago with the Batman versus Big B miniseries, he had a whole bunch of people as Robin, but Stephanie was one of the veterans. And I thought that was a really fun callback to his frustrating time as Robin because editorial just really interfered with this whole run. Alfred calls Batman out, though, and, and Batman doesn't respond that, you know, you're not doing this in order to get Tim back, are you? Uh, do you think he is? What, what, what Can we read anything into that silence and Batman not responding to that question? I think that at this time, this is one of Batman's least sympathetic periods of being written. Um, he's extremely manipulative. He's very cold. He's very distant. And he's spent the last five years basically being at odds with most of the Bat family for one reason or another, whether it's because of Bruce Wayne murderer or being brainwashed by Hush or just all this. There's a bunch of stuff that's just gone very badly for Batman and he has not reacted well. My interpretation is that he did want to see if he could get Tim to come back, but that he wasn't putting all his eggs in that basket. He also knows that Stephanie is a capable um, crime fighter and wants to see what it would be like if she got direct attention and training. So I've... I don't know if I could say I always saw this, but I certainly think now that he has plans upon plans as part of him being so manipulative and really cold right now is that he has all these different motivations. And I don't I personally don't think that it's a simplistic, oh, I just want to make Tim jealous. I think that is part of what he's doing. But I think there's also a part that is genuinely invested in seeing if Stephanie can be a partner. But he already tried this in the past. So I do wonder what has changed, you know, and, and all of a sudden I'm going to say that. The, yes, but continuity. And he's a, I feel like he's a hypocrite because suddenly now Steph disobeying him is a positive trait. And Alfred actually called him out on that. He's like, well, this is the first time I'm hearing of it. 
I will never. I mean, I have come to love Batman. <laughs> yes. In the last, um, let's see, five years since okay. Tom King's run. But I started reading Batman comics in 2005 with this story. And I hated Bruce for the next um, uh, 13 years. Okay. So this Bruce is certainly full of things that I am happy to criticize. I think, as I said, I think it's more complicated than a simplistic, oh, he's only doing this to make him jealous. But I do think that's part of it. And I do think that's not very good. Could you please state your name and also say Batman is a hypocrite? My name is Ian. Ian Prime for longtime listeners and Bruce Wayne as Batman has moments where he does hypocritical things. <laughs> okay, that was very political, sir. Very political. I uh, agree with your frustration. I think the reason why I was frustrated that Tim was mentioned in terms of why Stephanie has this desire to, you know, be this type of hero is because we were in this sort of era in DC Comics where these female heroes are taking up the guys because of the male. And I think in particular, you know, thinking about Barbara's origin story just seems to shift a lot. What was it because of Batman or was it not? And so I just wish that they would come to this decision on their own and not have a man involved. And so I do like that there is this alternative and that feels very much like Stephanie. Even, you know, when Stephanie says, which this is something that we're encountering, guess we'll encounter it in this Batgirl that's coming up as well as Batgirl's, the shadow of Clue Master looms so large over her life as well. So she's almost, it it feels like she never makes a a decision for Steph. It's always because of a man, whether, you know, she's really got to get out. She doesn't want to be her father, you know. She loves Robin, Tim. Would you agree or disagree with that? I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but I also don't find it as negative. Okay. Partly because if if you look at Batman, he does what he does because of the death of his parents. So a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And I don't think being motivated by a connection to another person is necessarily negative. I do think as a pattern, it can definitely be frustrating. But I mean, it depends on how you look at my second favorite DC character is Huntress. And I see her as very self-motivated. She definitely had many male and female teachers and male and female motivations, but she's she's so driven. So maybe because she's so important to me, I don't see the pattern as strongly because I think there's these counter patterns. But and and Black Canary, too. I mean, she is more motivated by her mother than by her father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments for Robin126? I love the design uh, that Steph has. I just think her hair is amazing. And I think more people should uh, should champion that uh, particular look as Robin. Yes. You don't think that would get in the way, though, of what she needs to do? That is irrelevant. This is a comic. Irrelevant. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. I mean, well. if, if we're going to if we're going to talk about things that get in the way of things, then I'm going to go full Edna mode. No capes. Okay. Well, that is true. That is very true. Okay. Well, moving on to Robin 127. August 2004 cover date. Again, the publisher synopsis. The streets of Gotham can be unkind, and unfortunately for the new Robin, the the mercurial Batman can be worse. Just how will she fare in her initial full-blown adventure with the Dark Knight? Meanwhile, what's become of yesterday's boy wonder? Well, I will say, even though I give him a lot of slack, Batman, he does praise Stephanie for her improvisation during the fight with Tiger Moth, so he is kind to her. Question, do you think it's realistic that it takes so long and a newspaper for Tim to find out about Stephanie? 
Well, there's an awful lot of terrible communication all the way through these three issues. So realistically, yes, it takes a ridiculously a ridiculous amount of time. It is consistent with everyone else just not talking to each other in this run, though. But you don't think he would have heard about it like on the streets? Well, remember that this is kind of the time when Batman is an urban legend. And so newspapers, like there, there's no footage of Batman at this time and there's no real photos. So it's all hearsay. And at this time, I think that it would have been, I mean, this isn't internet journalism where you're constantly trying to scoop each other with sure. unsourced nonsense. This is where print journalism was still the dominant form of news and you had to have multiple sources. So... In that sense, I think that it is perhaps less implausible. Okay. Um, and also, not everyone has cell phones at, in 2004. I mean, I didn't have a cell phone in 2004. So you wouldn't have all these people, you know, tweeting, I saw Robin, she's a girl now, what's that? Like, you wouldn't have that. It's a different That's time. True. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason why the villainess knows about it is because she's tracking down all the leads on Robin anyways. So right. she has her ear to the ground. So Oracle does appear in this issue, and she does some remote training, like it's COVID with Stephanie, which is very interesting. And at first, I, I did a double take because I thought, should, does Stephanie know that Batgirl, that Barbara Gordon is Oracle? But actually, she does know that oracle is barbara because in birds of prey number 40 when she was kind of on the team but not really that she was unmasked they they were literally in the clock tower so i i did that double checking so no one has to so yeah i'm she trying does. to remember if steph interacts with oracle during Cass's batgirl run because i know they team up but i can't remember if barbara ever is there oh and sees the the two of them together yeah well i mean except for what we see tonight right right yeah do you have anything to say about 127? Not really. I really, I really dig the dynamic between Bruce and Steph. I think that she does bring out good things in him. She, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's silently amused by her and they have some really great banter. I, isn't this the one where she wants to drive the Batmobile? Yes, it is. Oh, yes. And she, she sticks out her tongue and it's yeah. hilarious. But only when she's like 30 years old will she, will she drive. But he, yeah, you can kind of see that because in the next one, he says like, okay, you know, your wish is my command. Basically, we'll, we'll go in the Batplane. So he does listen to her. So maybe it's because he doesn't have other people and he doesn't feel like self-conscious or have pressure that now he's really giving her a chance. Maybe his heart was just not open. He didn't have an open mind last time. Well, there's this whole arc, actually, in Detective Comics just before Steph becomes Robin, where Cass and Bruce really talk about Jason. And there's an explicit parallel drawn between Steph and Jason. So they're really drawing up the parallels between Steph and Jason, both really coming from a less uh, affluent part of Gotham and both being very rebellious and both really loving being a hero just because they, they love the adrenaline, they love the excitement and adventure of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you read these stories with that in mind, you see both why Bruce is, he enjoys training her. He enjoys having her as a partner, but he also is terrified that she's going to die again. And unfortunately, as I have said before, it happens. That's too bad. You know, I've never read War Games, so this summer will be a real big deal for me. We shall see what you think. <laughs> it has lots of Oracle implications and wah, effects. Wah. Okay. So then we are, this like I said, choose your own adventure. So we're switching off. It's like very, it's a very tight timeline. I don't normally do this on this show. So we're going to, yes, Batgirl 53, Sisterhood. As we can see, pretty cool here. I like how Penguin and... 
Batgirl sort of merge into one another. And then Stephanie, as Robins generally do, bringing that light and the kind of the dopey happiness. And she has his monocle and his umbrella is making up basically the the logos there. And we've got Batgirl and Robin. But her hair is a bit more in control at this point in time. Because very frizzy. Which is a shame. Her hair is awesome. What oh is just gosh. like spiked. I wonder. I need to know from Professor cheapskate because he's my chief hairstyle correspondent what he thinks of her hair so he's my go-to expert <laughs> no offense but he's my go-to uh fashion expert so we'll we'll see what he has to say okay so this is august 2004 i'll give an actual full synopsis since this is the back roll of the oracle podcast D- writer dylan horrocks Pensor Dave Ross, inker Jesse Delperdang, and colors Jason Wright. And uh, I guess trigger warning for po- political talks. Is this the one? Kind of. Yes, a-, a bit. So not as heavy as it will be later on. Okay. A young girl named Melanie has a dream that she is being chased by a bat. Melanie wakes up and climbs out of bed carrying her penguin stuffed animal. She goes to her mother's room and asks where her daddy is. Her mother tells Melanie that her daddy is out tonight working again. And it doesn't seem like a happy thing. Batgirl takes down a group of thugs working for the Penguin. They try to shoot her with an experimental handgun they're smuggling, which is explosive. Batgirl asks Oracle for backup, and Batman (laughs) sends Robin to assist her. Robin arrives and takes down the two thugs. She is competent. Hashtag not Batgirls. Stephanie Brown. Frank and Roy are those two thugs. Batgirl is surprised to learn that Robin is now her friend, Stephanie Brown. Later, Oracle explains that the Penguin has smuggled in a shipment of these weapons. They're supposed to be the most powerful handguns in the world, and he intends to sell them profit. The girls decide to deal with it themselves instead of bothering Batman. Frank and Roy deliver the shipment to Penguin at his warehouse. Penguin has customers lined up, but knows that he can't move them with the bats on his tail. Roy insists that he cannot take another beating like that as he has a wife kid. (laughs) This gives Penguin an idea. Batgirl and Stephanie swing through the city. Stephanie explains that Tim Drake quit being Robin and Batman asked her if she could do it instead. This is her dream come true and she couldn't be happier. Oh, I'm so glad that it lasts such a long time. They break through the skylight. (laughs) They break through the skylight of Penguin's warehouse, but he is already gone. Roy returns home to his daughter, Melanie and asks to see her school bag. Batgirl and Robin take down Penguin's thugs until they eventually arrive at Roy. Roy is walking Melanie to school, and when Melanie leaves, they force him against a wall and interrogate him. Batgirl observes how scared Roy is, and Roy confesses that the Penguin is forcing his henchmen to use their children as couriers. At that point in time, Melanie delivers the gun to a man named Mr. Googer or Googer in a bar. Mr. Googer refused to pay this little girl, and she angrily threatens to call the police. Googer tells his associates to kill Melanie. Backer and Robin bust through the windows and take down all the thugs in the bar. They corner Melanie and she pulls the gun on them. Robin comforts her and convinces her to put it down. Later, Batgirl and Robin arrive at the apartment of the Penguin and his girlfriend, Cindy. The Penguin decides to leave his girlfriend as she cannot pack quickly enough. Robin heavily beats the Penguin, so I guess this is what's tying into your wizard magazine to a certain extent, and throws him into furniture while telling him what a scumbag he is. Batgirl eventually stops her from going too far. They watch the police arrest Roy while Melanie looks on. Stephanie remembers the first time the police arrested her father and states that she didn't know who to hate more. 
for, or I should say whom, her father, the police, or the whole world. Robin wonders what it will take to finally get men like the Penguin off the streets so they can't destroy any more lives. That came from the DC Wikia. Okay, question. Do you think Stephanie has abs like this? Of course she does. She uh, <laughs> thinks the Huntress is awesome, and the Huntress does 700 sit-ups a day. So naturally, Stephanie is going to do a similar number. Wait, but Stephanie has only been hardcore training for about 48 days, I think, with the wardrobe. You have the, the issue, so you'd be able to to tell me. I don't know. I just don't know. I th- I feel like this is unrealistic. And the reason why I really like Stephanie is because of how relatable she is. So I'm not saying don't give her any abs, but I'm saying I don't think they would look like this but what's what is there a comparison that i can say with oh i don't know if i'll be able to see anything with with cass uh yeah i mean cass has her her abs i don't know does steph have the same type of abs as cass who knows realistically no she's less than a year she's about a year out from having a child so oh that's true so no messed up but i think she looks awesome yeah oh well yeah of course do you think it's realistic that batman sends stephanie to help cass because he wanted her kind of attached to his side the entire time Well, um, I would definitely say that of all the Bat family members who are operating in Gotham, I mean, I guess that is just Batgirl, but Bruce has always really trusted Cass in terms of her competence. And so I think that... I, I would say that of all the Bat family members, even the ones who aren't in Gotham, he would trust Cass to keep Steph safe if she needed to be kept safe. Although mm-hmm. in this story, she doesn't. She handles herself quite well. Yeah, absolutely. That she comes and really does, which shows, I think, the training and, and how serious she is. But she still has her flair and her positive attitude. You betcha, sister. So definitely keeping in line with her character. Are you and so- she also really functions as a Robin because when the little girl is so terrified, um, that is what Robin is for. Because Batman does love children. He does care about the people he saves, but he's intentionally being scary. And Robin is supposed to be that grin in the dark mm-hmm. leading people to safety. And Absolutely. so I think she does. She upholds the part that she's playing perfectly. Yes. Let's see that scene, which, of course, I mean... I think this might hit, you know, Cass heavy, just that she was frightening this child. But it does obviously go back to that dream or the nightmare that Melanie had. But yeah, here you're speaking of, yeah, Robin being the one to take the gun away from the child and and comfort her for sure. Yeah, I, I would say that this issue, I mean, since we're on this page, is is relevant in, in, in many ways. I think it's relevant to real life, specifically with gun safety. Uh, just the fact that this child is about to use that and also that, you know, she's acting as a mule there. And then, you know, relevant to the current run of Batgirls, just with their uh, the constant struggle that they have with their parents uh, when they have that conversation. Well, when she's really beating up Penguin and then they have this end conversation of on the roof there about um, talking about her dad there. So. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think that that's one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to say that I don't like the fact that Steph is so motivated by her dad, because I think that it is very relatable, not necessarily that everyone has a bad dad, of course, mm-hmm. but that you can easily imagine, you can re- easily see yourself in that circumstance. It's very relatable. It's very, it, it provokes a lot of emotion and a lot of writers do a, a lot of good work with that for Steph. Right. And I mean, Stephanie wouldn't be spoiler if her father didn't exist. Exactly. Yes. And, and I would say that 
Steph is definitely more famous than her dad. By now, I, I would hope so. Yeah. And then, you know, Barbara, of course, is influenced by her father as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. In a very different direction. <laughs> yes, in a very different direction. This is, uh, I liked this panel here because it's like the OG Batgirls. Got the three of them, Cass and Steph and everything. Were you surprised how short this conversation was between the two of them about being Robin and what it means to her? That's just really one page and that this isn't that she wouldn't come to her right away and, and talk to her like she does at the end. The, Cass seems to be the first person that Steph comes to when she's been fired. So the, is this shocking to you that she didn't come to Cass first and, and talk to her or have a longer conversation here? Or do you think this is just all appropriate and it's fine? I think it's really tricky because I don't know for sure when all these things were being written, but I would imagine that trying to figure out how to fit Steph and Cass connecting earlier would have been prohibitive given the other storylines that had already been approved and the crossover that's coming up. So I'm not particularly bothered by that. Uh, it felt efficient, but also heartfelt and it advanced the characters and the relationship. So it didn't, I, I kind of look at various titles connecting up in crossovers like this as being they have that extra filter of the extra brains of the writers who are writing. So they're going to be slightly different because of that. And there's also the fact that they're being written at all different times. They have different artists. So it doesn't make sense in universe, but I very much am reading them through the lens of this is this title. This is this author. I know this about comic production schedules. So if I were trying to like truly immerse myself in this is I'm living this world. Yes, it would break my, my suspension of disbelief, but I don't, approach it that way. Okay. It, and we are, we're going in a bit blind with this because with the Robin titles, we have her journal and her war journal entries and the day numbers and everything, but we're not given that here, which obviously different writers, but it would be interesting to see when this is happening. Given her competency, I feel like it is a bit later in her journals, but yeah, I, I guess I just, I know how close they are. It also ended on a really weird note because when she was fired the first time, the cast didn't really give her any sympathy whatsoever. So I, I don't know if, if um, Steph is a bit bummed about that. But I do like uh, that they're actually talking about it. I think if this were to happen in this day and age, that Cass might have brought up Tim because... I don't know that either of them say like, oh, what does Tim think about it? Because he's not really, he doesn't really come to mind. It's just, he is mentioned of, of quitting and everything. But it is nice. It's really sad knowing what's going to happen. I think if you don't know it, it's like, oh, this is so great. But looking out ha at how happy she is and knowing what's about to happen is terrible. <laughs> it's almost worse to read it now. If you look at it from a perspective as War Games is the end of the story. I would agree. But to me, War Games is not the end of the story because she goes on to become Batgirl and then come back in Batman Eternal. Like she continues on. She, she is able to have many more adventures. And so I think of this as a time when she is like a bright shining moment for her. And the fact that it ended so painfully doesn't take away from that brightness. Gotcha. Well, I guess the firing is also just very terrible. Yes. As I, I don't know if I said this on uh, the recording, but I refuse to buy that particular issue. Yeah. Well, now you have said it. Now you have said it. I did want to talk about this father. I just thought that he was interesting because he just seems like a Joe Schmo. But he is clear. I guess there's a struggle. I don't know. It seems like they live in a pretty OK place. But, you know, we don't ever know people's financial struggles, really. 
But he allows his daughter to be a mule. Perhaps he's too afraid of of Penguin to do otherwise, but he seems to actually love his child. It's not like this bad guy who's like, oh, yeah, just use my daughter however uh, she needs to be used because he's clearly concerned. But yeah, so an interesting, interesting character. I don't know why his wife hasn't left him yet. But again, we don't know what's going on between the two of them. Uh, Do you think he's just like a throwaway character? Is it more about Melanie in this case? I mean, it's definitely more about Melanie. He only appears, I would say Melanie appears a lot more. And the story's almost told through her perspective since it opens with her dream. Right. And she gets so many perspective shots for, on her face um, that her emotions and her perspective really sort of emotionally dominate the narrative. But I think I think he's a character with some nuance. I think Horrocks did a decent job building him up as much as he needed to be. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Batgirl 53? Not really, other than... It is odd that Damien Scott's on Robin and this other artist is on Batgirl uh, because, of course, Damien Scott was the original Batgirl artist for Cass. And so mm-hmm. they flipped and then they crossed over. It just is kind of funny um, seeing Damien Scott's character design in a different book. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Well, out of 10 child mules, what would you give this particular issue? I'd give it an eight. An eight, you say? Okay. I'm going to go down a half step and say 7.5 out of 10 child mules. Okay. So foreshadowing that final image? Who knows? Who knows? So now we are moving on or moving back to Robin 128. Everyone's favorite issue of Robin, if you're a fan of Stephanie Brown. Am I right, Ian? (laughs) Your favorite issue? That is not what I would say. Yeah, you did have to think about it, though. You gave a pause. I appreciate that. September 2004 cover date. We have no image to show you. It's probably something that says Batman's a jerk and Stephanie Brown is pointing to him a la Kitty Pride and Professor X. So publisher synopsis, Tim Drake continues to adjust to life outside the Batcave while Batman and the new Robin face off against the deadly Scarab. Can the new dynamic duo stop this fearsome femme assassin from eliminating her ultimate target, the former boy Wonder? Okay, again, even though Batman is in fact a jerk, he praises her again for planting the tracker, which was good job, Stephanie. So let's get down to it, okay? Should Stephanie have left the bat plane to help Batman? Here is where (laughs) I approach this issue Mm -hmm. pretty much completely from an out-of-universe perspective. Okay. Um, Because it just feels so artificially constructed to reach the mandatory editorial demand that Steph not be Robin when she dies. Because that was the thing is Bill Willingham's like, let me make her Robin. And then Dieter's like, well, she can't be Robin when she dies. And Bill Willingham's like, well, if you let me make her Robin, she's still going to be a dead Robin. So suck it. It does not make sense to Mm. me for Batman to fire Stephanie for disobeying him in the field when Dick, Jason, and Tim all did that many times. I actually talked to Tim Seeley at C2E2 about this because he, in his miniseries Robins, reapproached this scene. Mm -hmm. And um, he didn't want it to be because Batman was being sexist, um, because he wants Batman to be more heroic than that. Having listened to a lot of what Willingham says about 
why he wrote the run the way he wrote it. I am more inclined to see that he just he wanted to do these things, but then editorial said you have to get here. So he was just trying to get there and it was very difficult and frustrating. And having read Fables, which I do highly recommend, an excellent series that he wrote 150 and now it's going to be 162 issues um, with a lot of very powerful female heroines who are very complicated and dynamic and driven and have tons of agency. I don't think that it was Willingham's intention to say, um, oh, Steph was less capable and less worthwhile. Um, and in fact, I get a sense that to some extent, Willingham was like, this was unfair. We're supposed to feel that it's unfair. I'm not sure how much of that is because I feel it's unfair um, and how much I think but again, from listening to what he said, I, I do think that he was in a terrible position. Um, writing for the Batman books at this time was not fun. And um, I think he just kind of wrote what they told him to wrote, did his best, and then that's what we got. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I guess it's a perverted ring composition because he begins her hiring process saying, you know, I like her. She disobeyed me. You know, not many people can do that. And then all of a sudden, I don't, you're fired. You disobeyed me. So it's interesting of, again, Batman is a hypocrite. It, you know, reading it this time, I do see how she muddied the fight a bit. But if someone is struck, like, I don't know that he was necessarily going to get out of it on his own. I mean, it's Batman, so maybe. But when you feel like someone that you, I don't know if she loves him or not. She certainly admires him. But someone that you care for and who is a father figure and a mentor is in danger I think you're going to drop kind of reason of like, oh, he told me to stay here. I got to stay here. You're going to you're going to go and help somebody out. So like how heroic would we think Stephanie was if she just stayed in the bat flight? Yeah. I mean, yes. I don't think anyone else would have. Yeah. She does what she's told. Very heroic. Yeah. And I think, you know, change her place with Dick or with Tim. Definitely with Jason. Jason would absolutely do that. 100%. Yeah. Babs would have. So Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah. So it's very sad. Do, Do you feel like there's any room for grace in this business? Do you think Batman ever had any intention of of keeping her around if we're in the story? Because I understand, you know, taking away what we know is a trajectory. But do you think if it was so easy for him to cut her loose, did he really ever have the intention of of having her long term? And then, yeah, is there any grace in this superhero business? Um, I mean, it really depends. I think in universe, it's it makes most sense to have Batman driven by fear here. He we know from that Detective Comics arc that I mentioned that he sees Jason in her. Mm-hmm. We know that he is devastated by Jason's death. He is still haunted by guilt and haunted because he loved Jason. He loved him dearly and he cares about Steph. Um, there's an issue of Detective Comics in this sort of Steph as Robin arc where Steph is captured by Mr. Zaz and he is terrified for her. So you see that there's this real care and real concern for her. And I think that when she gets captured by um, Scarab here, that fear takes over and he's just unwilling to let another Robin die. I don't think it's rational, mm-hmm. but I think it is understandable. Um, and I think that it's tragic because even though he wanted to keep her safe by firing her, obviously that the exact opposite happened. And that's definitely his MO is to push people away. Yep. yep. So, I Especially mean, at this time. I think yeah. <laughs> I think that's key to remember that this time is just a really dysfunctional, unhealthy Batman, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a, I mean, this is a really, this is an easy question. Is it a double standard? Is there a double standard here? 
Again, it really depends on how much you're willing to lean on the why, on your interpretation of why Bruce does it. Bruce never says it's because you're a girl. From my in-universe interpretation of him being driven by fear of another Jason, I wouldn't say it's a double standard based on her sex. I do think it's completely irrational. I do think it is completely inconsistent with how he treated Dick, Jason, and Tim. So you really do have to struggle with why he's making the decision because it's not rational and it's not coherent. Um, so yeah. some people certainly, I, I do think it would be reasonable to say it's a double standard because she's a girl. I don't think you can say that's the only possible interpretation. Could you please state your name and say Batman is a jerk? My name is Ian Prime <laughs> and Batman is a jerk. Yes, thank you. That was very, you weren't flip-flopping there. Well, um, I mean, this is, even in my most sympathetic version of this, he's a jerk. Okay. Yeah. I, I you know, Huntress, I, I see a lot of similarities in, like, treatment of Huntress. And we know that Huntress, even I feel like you and I are both Huntress apologists, we do know also that there are some moral ambiguities with her behavior. So we do have to take that into consideration. I also like to joke, I mean, you listen to this show, so I constantly bring up whenever Cass has disobeyed Batman and she's still around so that's in i guess defense of batman not being sexist because you know Cass is also a girl and and she's disobeyed him but she's still around so yeah it's just something about poor stephanie Mm-mm-mm. any other thoughts on this issue with all my mental gymnastics and all my attempts to be as fair as possible i still am unwilling to buy this issue i, sure. I hate it I understand. I understand. I don't own Killing Joke, so I feel you. Do you feel Neither like... Neither do I. Yeah. If you are a Stephanie Brown fan, or Stan, as the kids say, do you think that... The 20-year-old kids? Do you think that you would recommend this to them and that you should read this particular run of her time as Robin? Or do you just... No, you're, you're fine without it. So again, this is one of the very first comics I ever read Mm -hmm. as a comics fan. And obviously I turned out an enormous Stephanie Brown fan. Yeah. So I don't think that you should avoid it. I I do think it's very painful, especially when you get to war games, extremely painful. But again, I think I don't love Stephanie Brown because she's perfect. I don't Mm -hmm. love Stephanie Brown because she always makes the right decision. I love Stephanie Brown because I see parts of myself in her. I see that. I mean, who hasn't had an authority figure treat you unfairly? I I am very sympathetic to Stephanie Brown in this situation. And I think that, as I said before, I think that the brightness of her being Robin, the joy of her interaction with Batman and her showing her competence and showing her strength is more than worth the darkness, especially since the darkness is not the end. You have to remember she she goes on. If you if you say, well, I'm going to stop at War Games and that's it, then no, of course I wouldn't recommend that. But if you say, I'm going to read War Games and then I'm going to read Brian Q. Miller Batgirl, I'd say yes, because yeah. this gives a huge amount of context to why Brian Q. Miller Batgirl was so powerful because Steph is proving herself. Mm-hmm. She is able to stand on her own two feet and she's able to slap Batman across the face. Yes. Yeah, it's very, I mean, her journey journey is very similar to Barbara Gordon's in the fact that there was a nader to it. And then she's picked up a, a nader that was forced upon us and the writers. And then she's pulled out of that and, and become something greater to be sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the first time that I've think read that whole thing to be honest i mean i've known about it i've known pages and had discussions on it but never i think read it so that was very interesting so now she she's fired so now we're going to move over to backroll 50 
64, where she will appear again. And I will say that I've waited years to do it, but we're going to cancel Cassandra Cain right now. Well, I do. I do want to point something out from my hard copy of this. Yes. Comic. Like, what, what is, is that? This? Halle Berry? What is this? Is that a PlayStation game? <laughs> uh yes it is okay the catwoman playstation game based off of Halle Berry. well i don't know who thought this was a good idea <laughs> oh okay so this is backroll 54 cooking the books you can see the image we can see backroll in the information rage and i'm not sure what's going on down here with these oh i oh it's letters yeah we're gonna get into it big time i wish donovan were here because i'd be putting him on the racks and then we see Steph going up against something, an automaton, a um, synthetic, who knows? Okay, 2004 of September's the cover date. Writer Dylan Horrocks, pencil Rick Leonardi, inker Jesse Delperdang, colorist Jason Wright. Simon Sherwood prepares for the signing of his new book, The Mars Conspiracy. There is a huge line for this greatly anticipated novel. They open the bookstore and his first customer is a giant robot in a trench coat. The robot kills Sherwood with a shotgun hand, burns the store down and calmly walks away, as all robots do. Backroll later arrives at the scene and tells Oracle there were no survivors. Oracle tells her that the author, the editors and even the printer are dead. This robot has destroyed every single copy of The Mars Conspiracy. Oracle realizes that a copy of the book has been sent to <gasps> the public library. Batgirl is sent to find the book, though she doesn't want to go there. Batgirl hates the library. Hashtag cancel Cassandra Kane because she can't read. Again, hashtag we need to cancel her. We don't like people who can't read. Oracle scolds Batgirl. <laughs> you go with me. You go with me. Oracle. <laughs> We just we despise illiterates. Oracle scolds Batgirl because Oracle used to be. I, the I want head. to make it clear: this is Stella. <laughs> this is not Ian. No, Pride, that's okay. His face that. is on, which means he condones everything I say. So Oracle scolds Batgirl because Oracle used to be the head librarian. This is a personal front. Batgirl meets a new librarian named Emily, who agrees to help her in the search. The library security cameras go dead. The robot enters the building, and Batgirl descends to the ch- to challenge it. The robot begins blasting away at everything, and Batgirl realizes it's not human, obviously. The robot sees Emily holding the Mars conspiracy and begins targeting her. Batgirl carries Emily out of the way, and Emily explains that the book contains information on that particular robot. It's a cybernetic assassin called Project Mars that Simon Sherwood helped design. Batgirl wants to leave, but Emily insists that they must stop Project Mars from destroying the library. Batgirl does not understand why Emily cares so much about the library. Hashtag cancel Cassandra Kane, which is just books. Look at her. Look at her. Emily angrily insists that the library contains irreplaceable information. Absolutely. Emily should be the next Batgirl. Batgirl tries to distract Project Mars. Emily reads the Mars conspiracy to look for a weakness in his design. Batgirl battles the robot until Emily finds its self-destruct code. But unfortunately, before Emily can read the word aloud, the robot shoots Emily dead. The word is peace. Batgirl picks up the book, but because she's illiterate, she cannot read the word. Batgirl tries to explain the word to Oracle, and Oracle is furious to realize Batgirl doesn't even know the alphabet. And Oracle asks, 
How can Batgirl be so stupid? And Batgirl tells her that she's trying (laughs) really hard to learn, but she can't. Oh, we're going to get into this. We are going to get into this. Batgirl tricks the robot into reading its own self-destruct code. There is a massive explosion damaging the library and destroying the last copy of the Mars conspiracy. Later that night, Oracle apologizes to Batgirl for getting emotional about the library and calling her stupid. Batgirl refuses to talk to her, puts on her mask, and leaves. So they've broken up. I do want to point out that actually the librarian wasn't killed. She wasn't? Nope. Are you sure? Yep, it says Emily's going to be fine. (laughs) I'm gonna... On what page? The issue we were just uh, at where uh, Barbara apologizes. Oh, that... Oh, really? I mean, what's... If you look at it, look! How? How? How is that woman not dead? It's a direct shot. Well, we don't see a bullet hole. <laughs> I see. Oh, my God. Okay. See, right there. And he's going to be fine. Some mild concussion. Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. Well, I'm so sorry. So even I am at times illiterate. You can cancel me. Okay. Stephanie Brown approaches Batgirl a spoiler and explains that Batman recently fired her as Robin. Spoiler thanks Batgirl for her friendship. She then tells Batgirl that no matter what Batman says, she will not give up prime fighting. Spoiler is determined to prove Batman wrong about her. Batgirl returns to her apartment alone. She pins the page fragment that said peace to her wall and stares at it sadly because she can't still read it. So this is the 54th issue of Batgirl. Okay. Now, first of all, first of all, is there a book that you've despised so much that you would terrorize all who've read it and created? No. There's a book that I have sworn that if anyone gives it to me, I will burn. But there's no book that I will terrorize people for reading. Which book is that? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Really? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Now, I have, in fact, read that novel. But I won't get, I mean, I don't gift it to anyone, but I just want you to know that I've read it. Have you read it? Well, as I said, I don't terrorize people. I just... (laughs) I hate it so much that I will burn it if someone okay. gives it to me. I see. Well, okay. I could have been your first. And that's because I love the original Pride and Prejudice. And I find what Seth Graham Smith did to be oh. intensely lazy. And I despise it. Oh, well, I mean, then you wouldn't like Jane Slayer. Nope. <laughs> uh, or any of the Jane Eroticas that I read. I will say. I, I heard about that uh, episode. I was like, ooh, big eyes. What happened here? <laughs> That was, they copied and pasted and then they changed things up. That is, that is very interesting. It is very interesting. I don't recommend that episode. You didn't listen to it, did you? I can't remember. I might have. You, oh my gosh. I told people not to listen to it. And yet it's probably my highest download. It's ridiculous. I had to do (laughs) it, but I just was like, don't listen to this. You should have just embraced it. Yeah. Well, uh, you should have started the Jane, the Jane Erotica OnlyFans. Jane Erotica OnlyFans. I, let's see here. I really shouldn't do that. But yeah, I don't think I will. I really don't like The Awakening by Kate Chopin. And I don't like Everything is Illuminated by uh, i can't remember his name and i also really didn't like uh what was that called some extremely loud and incredibly close of the three of them i don't know that i would necessarily terrorize anybody but (laughs) every time extremely loud and incredibly close pops up and tom and i are in the same room quote-unquote room together we just like our our ire rises his ire rises higher and more quickly than mine but we always um if it comes up in comments or something like that on required reading so those would probably be the only ones maybe anything by Ernest meanway but 
not yeah this was pretty intense here to be sure okay okay now do you believe that cast should be canceled because of her hate speech against libraries and books no because as we know from the batgirls title cast believes that reading is fundamental yes but that's a different cast i believe it's the same cast <laughs> in my heart and that she's grown yes okay well, through her friendship with Barbara and Stephanie. Yeah, I suppose I suppose I can get on board with that. But this just I could not believe where this vitriol was coming from. Uh we we look at this no sounds awful. Oh my gosh, where is this coming from? How could Barbara not have rubbed off on Cassandra more than just this? Well, it's a bit hard to read the tone here. It's one of the reasons I'm not the biggest fan of this Batgirl costume because I can't see her face. Yeah. And so I don't know if she's trolling Babs or if she genuinely hates reading. Well, her, I mean, her lips are puckered and her, it does look like she has a scowl on. Yeah. If she, I mean, either way, if she's trolling Babs, she's being very good at it, yes. which is hilarious. If she's serious, that's interesting because I don't remember her being this resistant to reading. Maybe yeah. it's something where she, I mean, Cass's character is one who accepts nothing less than greatness from herself. I mean, that's the whole point of her first arc where she's like, I will promise to fight Shiva to the death if I can be Batgirl for a year when she loses her ability to read body language. Mm -hmm. Like it's a very Achilles, you know, live short, burn bright, die young. Um, that's her whole mindset. And, sh and reading, especially with the way her mind has been broken by her father and her upbringing and then messed up further by this mutant, it's hard. It is something that requires a lot of pain and she doesn't she doesn't know it's not that she um knows that there's this great thing at the end of all the struggle um, for all she knows she could always just hate reading even if she gets good at it uh, we know better than that because we know she does come to to love reading but i think you could sympathetically reading this feel that Cass is has given up on herself because she thinks that she will focus on what she's good at. And she just has all this negative experience built up around uh, failing to reach. She hates right. to fail. And so she just is going to say, well, I choose not to try anymore. Um, yeah. I, and, yeah. But you have to read that into it because she doesn't say it and it's not really built up. Sure. I, yeah. I think if, if the previous issue were <laughs> PSA for gun control, this is certainly a PSA for reading. And uh, hopefully, you know, long term fans will know that I was completely joking about, you know, getting rid of all the illiterate people. Uh, if you've just hopped on to watch this, then you probably think that I'm being serious. But we do know. I mean, there are a lot of things I, I can talk about, obviously, because I do have a question about whose fault is it that she still can't read. But it is something, even though she's more of a young adult, that, you know, kids, and this is true of really any subject, but reading, that they do get really frustrated when they're unable to do it. They don't meet these challenges. Uh, you know, some of them lack grit to really push through and they just feel down on themselves and down on, and then they don't progress. And then they just want to stop trying. And it's easier to stop trying than to try and fail uh, or make small strides. And so that's why our job as educators, is to really, of course, direct an explicit instruction in lots of different things, spelling and vocabulary and fluency and comprehension, all of that stuff. And also to really be with them and, and have a relationship with them. And through that relationship, there's trust. And so if you're saying like, you know, you can do hard things, they will believe that they can do hard things. Or if you're encouraging them, if you have that relationship, they believe that that encouragement is real, which is why it's really, it is disheartening when Barbara 
Weber calls her stupid. I mean, I'm making it more direct than it actually is because she does say, how stupid can you be? I think is, uh, yeah, for God's sake, Cassie, how stupid can you be rather than actually calling her stupid? But this is like, they had this strong relationship and now it's like, you've really fractured it because there was all that trust and everything that Cass may have believed about her stuff, about herself in regards to reading and writing is now it's now solidified so that is that is the big bummer so do you know if we're canceling cassandra on this episode we might as well cancel barbara gordon as well i was wondering about this this is a um this is a hard issue this is a huge relationship moment for barbara and cassandra like how do you feel about barbara in this in this moment yeah I feel like in my mind, no amount of pressure would push her to to call Cassandra stupid. But I think a lot of it comes from Barbara's relationship with libraries and the fact that this does mean a lot to her. Uh, there's a life on the line. And, you know, similar to Emily, there are all these things going on. So it, she just like loses her cool. And we don't see Barbara lose her cool very often. And I think when it happens, there are usually some bodies in in its wake because of how powerful it is. So I am disappointed. I feel like maybe it's out of character, but maybe it's in character. And I think we just have to say that this happened and now some bad stuff is, yeah, gosh, I wonder how long it takes. How long would you, if you were in the place of Cassandra, how long do you think it would take to uh, potentially forgive Barbara for this? I mean, Barbara owns up to it and apologize. Well, does she actually say I'm sorry? Um, I always like to find that they say yeah she does say i'm sorry yeah um yeah. i mean i i know the answer to this question so um. yeah well i mean you personally if you were if someone called you stupid or insulted you in a way that you have insulted yourself internally for years how long would it take you to build back and for- it would rankle it would rankle for a yeah. while yeah it's, it's definitely like i said this is a very heavy moment for this relationship yeah. and it i feel like people don't talk about this issue as much as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because it was never collected. It's it's weird. I think, I guess re- reading it, the Stephanie stuff is only two pages at the end, or even just one page at the end of the, the issue. So it doesn't directly tie into War Games, mm-hmm. but it's never collected. It jumps from Batgirl 53 to Batgirl 55 in War Games. And this issue is always left out. And it's not in the three um, Cassandra Batgirl trades that exist right now. So I think part of it, I think part of the reason people don't talk about it is very few people have actually read it comparatively because um, it's just not accessible. But I, I wish they would because it is it's the kind of meaty issue where there's not really... I don't think Barbara or Cassandra are really in the right here. Mm -hmm. I think whether you feel more sympathetic to one or the other really depends more on which character you feel more sympathetic to. I personally can't pick between Mm -hmm. these two. I feel really... I, I feel for both of them intensely uh, because I love both characters intensely. Yeah. Now, if either of these characters are in conflict with Steph, obviously I'm going to feel more sympathetic Steph. But sure. with these two, they're kind of equal in my heart. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Barbara is is the mother there. So we've, we've got and, and Cass has been disappointed by and hurt by Batman in the past. But I feel like this cuts in a different way. And, you know, one of my questions was, whose fault is it that Cass still can't read? Because she does say, you know, I tried and all of this stuff. And I feel like it's both of their faults, to be honest. She I mean, fundamentally, the real person whose fault it is, is David Kane. Oh, sure. But it's hard to say the, because yeah. we don't see those tutoring sessions. We don't see Cass failing or succeeding, you know? 
Well, I mean, we've seen like some very early on. Right, but we haven't seen them in the last 20 or so issues. No. And so, and Babs, which is why partially I think it is Babs' fault, because partially I said, because... It seems like now she is saying this is like Cass's responsibility to be studying on her own and at least studying the alphabet because she doesn't even know like what she's been doing. She knows that she's been training martial arts, but she's like, well, what what have you been doing with the ABCs? You haven't. So she needed to be again. This is about uh, this is how like, you know, my literacy. So you think because we didn't see them, they didn't happen? Yes. Okay. I'm not sure I would necessarily assume that, but I I don't think it's unreasonable. Well, if she doesn't, I mean, Babs is shocked she doesn't even know her alphabet. If they had been trained, if they'd been working together, Babs would know that a cast doesn't know her alphabet. Right. If you are wondering about why can Cass speak but not uh, read or write, this is uh, a common thing that you that people get messed up on. But speaking is more easy than writing and reading. It comes. It's just different processes, and it's often more difficult to uh, acquire reading and writing and not uh, speak. And as you know, language is we're sort of born with it. It's more of a biological thing, but we have to be trained reading and writing. Uh, and again, I'm you know going to grad school. And literacy is one of my folks there or folk. And I think it is partially Batgirl's fault because, yeah, she has been training. She says that she's tried, but I think that she's given up. So I think that she's she's stuck with something that she knows she can do and she can do well. But the thing that she can't do well, she's decided to kind of push aside. So I think there's an equal issue uh, with both of those. I think that Cass will come to forgive Barbara, but I don't think she'll ever forget this. And if I were Barbara, I think I would never forget it either. It's because those sorts of things like always stick with me yes this is whew, this is pretty rough pretty rough it's heavy yeah do you think that Cass was the first person that Steph told I assumed it was but do you think so I mean this is the only issue we really have um before we jump straight into war games so I would say yes I okay. believe so because she's just not really talking to Tim at all during this time mm-hmm. period yeah and final question is just, uh, what would you say would be the, the point of this issue? Like, what was it? Saying? It's what? to to drop this bomb in okay. the Barbara and Cassandra relationship. I mean, I that's what that's it seems. But why now? Is it because we've had this contentious uh, Batgirl and Batman situation? So now it's like, well, let's give it to the mom a bit too. Do you? So my answer is based on what happens next. Do you want uh, me to answer that question? No. That- okay. I think it will become fairly clear as you keep reading. Okay. As to as to what's going. On. Okay. <sighs> yeah. I I do want to ask a question. We're we're all oh, about please, dropping yeah. the the hot the hot current events takes here, and I thought it was very amusing that this villain is a uh, a robot, an artificial intelligence. Yes. Could we say it is a, a robot GPT? Oh, interesting. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Oh, ChatGPT. You know, I didn't know anything about ChatGPT until, I guess it was late February, and someone said, what do you think about this? I'm like, what are you talking about? And now it's just like, I don't like to think about it. Poetry, that's all I have about it. Yeah, if I were still teaching, I would just make all my students write their essays in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> no more typed essays. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Well, Latin, hopefully it'll help a bit. But any other thoughts on this issue? I really like uh, Rick Leonardi. I think it's kind of funny because Rick Leonardi did a ton of really good issues in this Batgirl run, but then he did Convergence Batgirl. And I don't know what it was about that, but that was a messy book art wise. Mm. 
But this this issue looks great. I love he's got kind of an anime style with all the big eyes and oh, yeah. very appealing designs. Um, not like super interesting layout wise or action wise. It's kind of just panel, panel, panel. Yeah. Um, but it's good. Wow. I'm surprised Steph even came back to the clock tower after that. I would have not wanted to be near her. Oh, I did have one final question. Her posting up this this piece where it says peace, this piece of paper, do you think it's just because of everything that went down or do you think also this word means something to her? I mean, I think it's both. Okay. Um, I think that clearly there is a desire in Cass's heart for peace and that's supposed to be sort of poetic, but it's also very clearly a totem of just the damage that Barbara and Cass have done to each other's relationship. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's heavy. It is. And I think, I, I think that it's nicely done. I think that Horrocks did a good job building to this damage and then letting us feel that damage. Mm-hmm. Out of 10 smoking librarians, what would you give this? I'd say 7.5. Okay. I would agree with you and say 7.5. And as a, you know, a little capstone, just remember that I am a proponent of combating illiteracy, but I am not a proponent of getting rid of illiterate people. So that was all just a joke, just in case people are really concerned. (laughs) I think I hopefully people would know by now that that would not be something that was uh, coming out of my mouth. But I've learned so much in my literacy courses that I look forward to getting back class, seeing what I can do and how I can help people both in Latin and Okay, well, let's see here. We do have some listener emails, and by we, I mean me, because people did not write to Ian Prime here. Mail time! Mail time! The mail's here! Come on! Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. First up for YouTube. Could you imagine if they started writing things to you? First, I mean, please do. And, you know, after this one, if you have any questions for him. For the YouTube comments. So BT, the episode 231 part one, Donovan asked if I was wearing new glasses. No, I was not. Also part one. Oh, you, <laughs> you commented. So let's read this while you're on here. Yeah, I should have gotten you to, uh, uh-oh, to read this. Okay, so from you. So this issue of Birds of Prey gets a lot of controversy for both the slut shaming and Huntress leaving with Josh. I actually really love it because I think that the Bat family is really in shambles at this stage after several years of Bruce being completely dysfunctional. This is building up to Pete Backjerk era with war games as we'll soon see. Huntress in particular has been ostracized and devastated by so many ups and downs and setbacks and failures. I see this issue as Helena's absolute low point, her rock bottom, and she sleeps with Josh because of her complete lack of self-worth. However, I think that it makes perfect sense for where she is as a character and I love where she goes from here with my whole heart. Side note, previous commenter is correct. Arthur, oh, I missed whatever that was. Uh, Arthur was responsible for Steph's kidnapping and serious endangerment in Robin 15 through 16, for which she beats him down pretty seriously in prison with the guards' full approval. I do think that New 52 slash Rebirth slash Infinite Frontier slash Dawn of Eight DC Arthur is more violent towards his family. He did, after all, try to kill Steph multiple times in Batman Eternal. Oh, I forgot about all that. He I also, her a lot. Yeah, I also do by the quote Lazarus serum brought him back wrong end quote explanation. It didn't feel like a cheat to me. And the body armor issue in the Dark Knight film series, Lucius says that Batman's armor will stop most things except a straight shot. And Steph got shot fully 
straight in the chest. So I think it makes sense that the bullet penetrated her armor, just as Harvey's shot in the Dark Knight film penetrated Bruce's abdomen armor. That's a good comment there, Ian. That's a good comment. Yes. No, I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I still don't really like Hunter sleeping with Josh, but. We're not supposed to like it. Yeah, I know. And I, but I, I understand. feeling her. terrible about herself. That's why she does it. <sighs> well, we'll see. Well, is the next arc, which is like six issues long, is it pretty good with her being back in a teachery role as a. Do you remember this arc? Okay, next arc is not... Is it Sensei and Student? No. She's no. apparently going undercover as a teacher. Yes. Um. Hopefully it'll pick her back up. It's a real roller coaster. I do love it. Okay. Um, But in terms of where she goes next, I'm talking about the next 20 issues. Okay. So it's, it's a very long-term arc. It really pays off if you read the whole thing. But the next arc, there's a lot of positives, but it's a roller coaster. Okay. Okay. Sounds like Birds of Prey is turning into Hunter's Focus, just like Batgirls with Stephanie Brown. Okay. okay. Uh, for part two, we have Enigma. Enigma has returned. I think personally, the reason they chose Steph again was for Cass to relive one of her darkest moments. Moments. I'm trying to think of context. I think it's just in general Steph dying on Steph? again. Oh, oh, okay. Real cast reliving okay. Steph dying the first time. Oh, oh, okay. I see. I mean, literally, panel for, for panel, this issue is like cast reliving losing a dear friend. Play face back in Tech Rebirth. That had to be no coincidence. Everything was synced perfectly. Even Babs in that pose with the sniper rifle again was exactly as is. The only difference was cast found a way. The method she preached to Kate way back then worked. I think that's why the writers went with what they went with. Same with casting by Steph's side as she was cured and slept. It was poetic from when Steph did it for Cass way back in Batgirl Volume 1, Number 26, though she took out the Shiva groupie first. I agree Cass should have been man-batted, but I think the reason was for Hatter to play up this nightmare scenario. Also, I kind of want to think, theory-wise, that Spellbinder and Tudor were students of Hatter, hence why he targeted the Batgirl. The whole, this whole subplot began back after Number 6, which means Hatter began planning and targeting them since then. Spellbinder and Tudor had Hatter tech. Given, I guess, Jervis was splicing various tech these last issues, there's reason to suggest he was the real brains behind the two. Any thoughts on that? That theory? Mad Hatter's been the big bad the entire run of Batgirls? No, it doesn't. This felt like a one-off to me. A one-off with connections, but not like the culmination of all the stuff that's gone before. Okay. So I can see the theory and I can't disprove it. I mean, because you can prove very few things in comics, (laughs) but I don't personally think it makes structural sense. Okay. And then finally, from my Earth 2 BFF, Shayna, on 231, she says, BFF Stella, it is interesting that Gotham Knights made Stephanie Brown seem a lot like Barbara. The same thing happened in CW's Bad Woman. Stephanie Brown in that show even had red hair and developed a crush on Luke Fox. Rather infuriating, really. (laughs) For many reasons, and not fair to either Steph or Babs as a character. A lot is going on in Bat- Birds of Prey number 68. I think the issue definitely suffers from being of a time, early 2000s, when there was still a lot of slut shaming and it was common for women to, to be portrayed as always fighting over men. I think Helena is treated so unfairly by Donna and to a lesser extent Babs. I actually really like Helena in this issue. She's trying. She wants to be a part of this team. She wants a better reputation. And of all people, Donna is going to slut shame her? There are a lot of cheap shots taken at Helena by both Dinah and Babs, unfortunately. Despite all the unfairness towards Helena, I did like the idea of Barbara bringing them all together to debrief. I think her 
wording about, quote, making rough decisions in the field has two aspects to it. Number one, it reflects Barbara's controlling nature and dependency on planning. (laughs) Oh, no. And number two, it acknowledges the shaky ground they are all standing on as a new team. The execution could have been better for sure. Less slut shaming and less focusing on the men in their lives. However, I think this is the beginning for Barbara as a team leader. In this scene, she shows an understanding of how important it is to make space for the interpersonal conflicts that may exist on a team and hopefully their resolutions as well. Barbara is shown to be pretty proactive in that regard in 68. She wants to air out grievances and get everyone on the same page. She goes to her dad for advice and she supports Dinah and Helena in their lives outside of crime fighting. It's great A plus leadership. In regards to Helena going on her day with Josh, I always took it as a self-insert fantasy for the average male reader. Ian, is that you? Especially Helena (laughs) sleeping with him. Maybe Simone was advised to put something like this in to attract more male readers. It's hard to be certain. Regardless, I did think it was admirable for Helena to honor her word and go out with the guy. She could have easily blown him off without any adverse consequences. Again, I think it speaks to her trying to be better. That being said, she lets the date go on way too long for no reason I can infer, which is why I wonder if it is supposed to be some kind of meta commentary or lure for male readers who drool over and fantasize about dangerous, powerful female superheroes. Yeah, shag, shag. And I can't help it. I love the cover for 68. Josh is a bit of an eyesore, but Greg Land is such an amazing artist and he makes all our leading ladies look so good. And then finally, I'm back rolls number 16. I'm not sure I have anything to say that you haven't already said yourself. It's too bad the series couldn't have had equal focus on Cass and Babs in addition to Steph. The imbalance is really apparent now that we know the series will end in a few issues. I'm definitely curious to see how this will conclude and what Steph and Cass's relationship will be by the end. Stay safe out there, Shayna. Any thoughts on that? I mean, I kind of said my own thoughts about sure, the birds sure. of prey issue. Yeah. I stand by those a hundred percent. And I, if I were in conversation, I would try and tease out some of these things. I honestly, I think that the slut shaming feels realistic and okay. I don't think it's, I know that Simone's not endorsing it. Mm-hmm. I think that this is how people, you know, really powerful, but also, you know, full of trauma heroines would treat each other. And I don't think it's necessarily of its time. I think the choice to spend as much time on it may have been of its time, but I think that's how people are. And I think that trying to hide that and trying to pretend people are always acting perfectly, I can sort of see the aspirational nature of that intent, but this feels real. A lot of the reason people love Gail Simone run on Birds of Prey is because these three women feel so real. They don't feel idealized. They don't feel fake or self-inserty. They're, they're real. They're flawed. They're passionate. They're admirable. They're, they make mistakes and they, they inspire us. So I, I disagree that it's just a dated comic. I think that's a, To me, that feels like a dismissal and not really engaging with what's going on. Just, you know, for the audience to know, I'm trying to equalize all things. So I've been calling Donovan a skank. So I'm really trying to make it equitable so that males are also being held accountable. So, I mean, if you've seen some of his images, you would call him that too. Uh, Thanks always for writing in or posting on YouTube. You can always write in backrolleroracle at gmail.com. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're actually going to look at backrolls number 17. And just given the time that we are recording, I have no modern quickies, so no nightwing. But first, there's going to be some Zias's Radio Hour, and it is featuring from their new album with Love From Sun Choke by Ali and AJ. See you soon. I can't take more hate.
there and welcome back. So we are in the modern zone and we're definitely going to talk some current events and gun safety on this one. So just be aware of that. So this is Backgirls number 17. As you can see this particular cover, who watches the Backgirls? Quiz Custodiate kind of reminds me of who watches the Watchmen, which came from Juvenile and that's where we got the Watchmen, of course. And then you see this pretty cool cover here. Uh, I don't ever get the variants, but that's pretty cool that Ian is showing. But this one I was just thinking is, I don't know, it seems a little dopey here. Like what exactly is going on? <laughs> None of them seem to be t- taking anything seriously. Baz could be shrugging. Steph or Cass is like trying to scare Steph. And then here Steph is not having any of it. Uh, very interesting. And it does not totally reflect what goes on inside of the actual issue. So I've done a lot of talking and I always require, I don't always, but I always ask, could you please? And it's an intense time in my life with exams and everything else breathing down my neck. So I said, Ian, please, would you mind recapping? this issue. So Ian, please take it away. Of course. So in Batgirl 17, Grace O'Halloran, sporting her eye patch, interviews Gotham District The Hill residents for the Aparo Park Jubilee. But she is frustrated that none of them that she interviews are locals, muttering about gentrification and how no one gives the Batgirls credit for making the hill safer. Steph, Cass, and Kyle Mizukuchi are out for the Jubilee, and Cass drags Steph off to dance. Their jubilant jubileeing is tragically interrupted by a gunshot, and Steph herds the civilians into Mr. Dollywall's uh, bookshop for safety. Then the Batgirls change and seek out the sniper. They find Grace's cameraman shot by the sniper, and while Steph gives him CPR, Cass seeks out the gunman. Later, Commissioner Montoya is briefed by Officer Brooks, then talks to the Batgirls. Cass and Steph train intensely to catch the sniper. Steph reveals that after being shot and briefly killed, see Batgirls number 15, by her dad, her anxiety about catching the shooter is much stronger. That night, as Grace has an alcoholic relapse in grief at her friend and cameraman's critical condition, the Batgirls stake out the rooftops, then decide to break up an illegal gun sale by the Hill's Angel to an undercover, drunk, and frightened Grace. Steph tries to get them to go home in a combined show show of force, battering disarm, and reason appealing to their better nature. But the frightened gang isn't backing down. Things look ugly, but suddenly, the sniper attacks again. Cass saves a gang member, but they fire back wildly. 
Batgirls kick the gang into an empty grave and tie them up as Oracle cuts the lights and helps them out as mission control. Steph runs as a distraction for the sniper as Cass runs toward the shooter. She makes it to the sniper's nest, but only finds three bullets and a note ominously saying, one for each Batgirl. To be continued. And then, yeah, the art I think it, uh, credits here. Is by Robbie Rodriguez and yes. colors by Rico Renzi. Yeah, it looks, it's interesting. That pairing is interesting because it's not like I recognize Robbie, but when he does his own coloring, it, it's got kind of that funk to it, like the pop funk. Whereas there's some interesting coloring Cass in particular, some of the shading just look really interesting, like this panel here. Just, yeah, it seems different a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to put my finger on who it reminds me of. Do you remember that Supernatural title that came out? Gotham at- by Midnight? Yes. Doesn't it yeah. feel like that? Does that art kind of feel like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually got to talk to the main artist for that book at C2E2, um, Ben uh, Templesmith. Okay. And he's got a very sketchy style and Rodriguez's sort of thin lines. Yeah. Um, especially right here with Grace's hair almost looking like tentacles. Um, that's very characteristic of what Templesmith likes to do in yeah. his sort of horror influenced style. And that's that's a highly underrated book, I have to say. That was a really good book. Yeah, I really liked that book, actually. Yeah, yeah. I did a, I think I did a Patreon-only podcast for the Batman universe about it. Oh, really? Yep. You know, as we warm up to, to kind of get into the big stuff. Did you find this an interesting panel, this middle panel down here, where, you know, these two characters or just two people off the street are like, ch- tack, and then all of a sudden they turn to each other and are just talking to each other? Did you find that a strange interaction there? Like during hmm. an interview, I don't know if it really stuck out to me. To each- oh, okay. Well, it's just like the way, because they're all smiling and then all of a sudden they look very serious and they're just talking to themselves, even though they're being recorded. And I felt like they were automaton. I wondered if something was about to happen with them. Well, but I mean, I after issue not- after the last issue, automatons could be anywhere. It could be, yes. I do love the fact that the the back rolls are just in the background of this recording, and then of and she's talking about them, and then of course they actually get interviewed, and then there's Kyle. Yeah, sadly no maps. I wish maps had been there. Well, they uh, call it out. They say she's at fencing, which is yeah, pretty funny. Yeah, I do have to point out this butt shot here, which was unnecessary, but here we are. Also, you can see the abs. As they're dancing. I also thought this was an interesting and odd transition for Kyle in this part because uh, he is, he says, Steph, you and Cass handed, handled that really well. And then all of a sudden, I'm so glad you're safe. What can I do? So just for me, odd transitions in this, in this issue. But again, I, I look for, I kind of nitpick this, this book apart, unfortunately. Now this issue is probably, this came out in April. Let's say it was written February, probably two months months prior maybe two to three probably january or december actually so we have in this nation the united states of america have had i think it's like 143 mass shootings or shootings let's go shootings and we're only in April. So that's, you know, let's let's not calculate the average because it'll be pretty bad. Now, in January, of course, it was just starting out. But literally this week, there have been, I think, four. There was a birthday party and then three people getting shot by doing something mistakenly, going to a house, a driveway and a car in a grocery store. This was all this week. This was all this week. 
So I would almost, you know, let's just say that, the, I mean, this is taking place in April. So let's just say that they wrote this in, in re- response to what was going on. Do you think it's too soon, you know, for a story like this where a gunman is shooting on some sort of gathering? Or do you think it's just something that should constantly be brought up until change happens? So this is probably the the heaviest political talking that we're going to get to. Now, we know that I think there was something in Las Vegas at a country music festival that that was pretty recent. Uh, we know of the the Pulse shooting in Orlando that happened a couple of years ago. So this is like uber realistic. This, there's like no fantasy about that. Um, and even if we get into the shooter at the end, it seems like he's kind of verbally writing a manifesto, talking about uh, the people who are actually heroes, all of that stuff. So do you have any thoughts on this particular storyline? Because it's pretty heavy. And are we ending the run with this, with the mass shooter potentially? So... There's a lot of questions there. Yeah. Um, trying to figure out where I want to start. I, I think the first thing I'd say is that this feels very different to me than um, most of the shootings that have hit the news. This much more feels like either the Dallas police rally shooting or the um, the D.C. sniper, um, okay. because a sniper attack is very different from the kinds of mass shootings that we saw at, for example, uh, Louisville or most school shootings. Yeah. Um, those are sure. up close, usually done with a lot of handguns or um, shorter range violence. Uh, this is long range violence, and it's is qualitatively different and it is terrifying. And I think they do a really good job of it. With regards to your question, should this, is this too soon? Again, since I view this as being much more calling back to a, a very specific type of gun crime, that is sniper assassination, I don't feel like it's too soon. Mm-hmm. My personal opinion is that, well, I actually really, it's funny. I, where I come down on gun control is kind of weird because as a, a more conservative person politically, I am inclined to be in favor of um, the citizen being armed, but I don't feel particularly passionate about it in terms of I don't own guns personally. So my family does. I don't have a problem with that, but I, I feel like if I were to own guns, I would need to practice with them. So I would be responsible and I don't want to spend that time and money. So I choose not to own a gun. I think the problems that drive the shootings tend to be much deeper than the availability of guns. I do think that guns tend to intensify the attacks, but not cause them. And so I think it's good to show people dealing with these things because it's real. But I'm not convinced that I am convinced there is no quick fix. Yeah. And Uh, as we go on into this comic, I really appreciate how it deals with that. I mm -hmm. I think that is not a simplistic screed. I think it actually delves into motivations in a more nuanced way than you might expect. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the authors are coming down on anything? Do you feel like you... I mean, I think the authors are fairly typically going to be in favor of gun control. And Mm -hmm. I think they... But I think they do a good job of not portraying everyone who disagrees with them simplistically. And I appreciate that. Yeah, they do. I mean, um, the the positive thing from this issue of course is is that no one dies though there are some serious so far let's hope it stays that way yeah i know yes we will we'll find oh gosh what if they finally kill off stephanie brown at the end of this round could you imagine She's already 19. died in this round. I don't think they're going to kill her <laughs> They're going to do it again. You, They thought that, um, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, it, well, it's just interesting that, yeah, if, if this was written in January or 
or February, you know, that time is different, but we've, we've had all these, we've had issues in the past. Always, It's not a new issue, but it just, I literally read this today because I've been so busy. So it was just crazy that I opened this up. Well, actually I read the back rolls and this today, the 5354. So I not only had, you know, gun control issue or a little girl with a gun in one of the issues, I then had this and I thought, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And I think it, it will be interesting to see what the reception of this particular issue would be, you know, in the future, you know, if things change or at another time period. Um, I hope I, I feel that this this last half of the Batgirls run has been a lot more thoughtful and well constructed than the first half. And unfortunately, that means that it's not going to be as well remembered because people usually buy the first trade right. and then maybe don't finish the run. Yeah. But I hope that the final trade of this run gets some good sales and people remember it because I think that's where a lot of the really good stories are. For sure. Yeah. Do you feel like Cass and Steph have any political alignments? This is not something that I think pops up here, but w- do you feel like that is a a care and concern for them? Are they activists or are they too young yet? They've not yet found themselves. Cass and Steph are corporately owned characters. And so I think that editorial is generally going to steer um, writers away from making them activists, partly because Batgirl is supposed to be a, a figure that is marketable to a wider range of audiences. And activism tends to really narrow the range of uh, fans and readers. Like you'll have really intense fans, but I think that especially if they're on a hot button issue, you're going to rule out a bunch of people who disagree with that, that issue. You can see this by the way people react to Stephanie's pregnancy storyline in the 90s. Um, what happens in that storyline was very mainstream, but the political landscape has shifted. So it now feels a lot more contentious, depending on where you fall on those issues. I personally would prefer that DC keep them this way so that fans who are more conservative like myself or fans who are more liberal can both find themselves in Stephanie and Cassandra and Barbara. Because I think that that is the great thing about art, that it takes us away from the immediacy of this or that policy proposal and this or that um, specific, uh, specific incarnation of a moral conflict and allows us to find common grounds so that we can build trust to have discussions that can lead to solutions. Because I think if we only like characters who are exactly like us and we form a bubble of people and media that agrees with us, then we start to see ourselves in a Manichaean struggle to the death with evil and you cannot win that struggle because either you wipe the other people out and that's not really a victory or you lose, and the struggle is never going to go away. We're never all going to agree on these difficult issues, and those issues will change. Obviously, before guns were invented, that that wasn't the issue. But you know, there have been very, very many different issues that have uh, torn people apart. And once you see, think you've solved one issue, another one pops up. So. I would prefer that really inspirational characters like Batgirl be more about shared humanity and and dealing with tough political issues, but not really being activist, because I think that that encourages more of our our tribal and black and white rather than ability to connect and form bridges with other people. I have like three thoughts. Uh, Hopefully I'll remember all of them. So first question is, what are your thoughts on Green Arrow, which I think goes against everything you just said uh, in terms of a corporate character having a hard political alignment? 
Well, interestingly, Green Arrow tends to spout a bunch of fairly middle-of-the-road <clears throat> liberal rhetoric, but he's never really an activist. Okay. He's also a massive hypocrite. And oh, I think that it's unfortunately telling that Green Arrow has not had a comic for the last three years. Hmm. Was the last one uh, Black Canary? Now, we are looking at a new Green Arrow comic coming out, and I'm very excited about that. But I think that he does narrow his appeal because of that. Barbara, I think, also is someone... I. I she is someone I think that breaks your mold because I think there is some, I think she was obviously involved in politics. And I think given her friendship with Alicia and Alicia's wife that everyone's forgotten about, I feel like she should be like, we have to kind of assume some activism on her part. And I think there's less of a gray area in who Barbara is. So do you feel like she is alienating in the way that I am presenting her? I think it's very telling that even though Barbara has been involved in political campaigns, both as a candidate and as a staffer, they almost never deal with any real policy issues. Okay. I mean, what does actually that Congress person or whoever it was that she was staffing for actually stand for? Do they even state her party? You can assume it. And I think that we are meant to assume certain things, but they never state it. And then final question is, you don't want the Batgirls to be activists, but don't you think that that is almost the perfect thing for someone out of costume to be doing? I don't understand what that means. <laughs> it's, you know, Stephanie Brown and Cass out of costume, don't you think activism would be the logical thing that they're doing as Steph and Cass? They're taking up some sort of cause and fighting, whether it is, you know, for their neighborhood and protecting people in their neighborhood or a marginalized community, potentially. Um, we'll see how that plays out in the next couple issues, because there are hints in the solicitations that that may be something that's happening. Okay. I personally think that there are a lot more productive things you can do than being an activist, but that would be my perspective coming from my both political philosophy and my own tendency to think that it is better to produce than to be an activist. Okay. Not that activism is necessarily not productive, but I tend to believe that activism activists tend to be much more easily manipulated rather than having agency or being actual um, starters of change. I, t I, I tend to be extremely cynical about how activism works. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> I, I tend to think that people, that the people in charge are still the people in charge and activists are usually used as tools rather Rather than actually being instigators of change. Interesting. Interesting. But if that if that is the case, then how can there be any hope for change? I mean, how does well, anyone know that that we're unsettled with what's going on or dissatisfied? Um, I have I have two responses to that. One uh -huh. is more philosophical, and one is more spiritual. Okay. Um, the philosophical you is both that, of those on this podcast. Yes. Um, the philosophical is that. Just because I believe that the people in charge are the people in charge and are really the ones driving it doesn't mean that you can't affect change. I just think that you have to affect change in different ways. And that may not be flashy or sexy or exciting. It usually looks like volunteering for campaigns and being staffers and um, making connections with people who have money and power. Because like it or not, money and power are the things that change things. So if you can either obtain money and power or influence people with money and power, I think that's much more likely to affect change than, than what most people think of as activism. And you could think of that as being activism, but I don't think that the sign carrying or protesting or mass rallying
Valley activism is really the kind of activism that gets changed. Again, I think that those tend to be used rather than starting change. The spiritual is that I think that real hope comes from personal growth. As a Christian, I believe that that comes from my uh, sanctification, my becoming more like Jesus. And I think that that's the only way that we can really change. And I think that is true no matter what you believe about policy solutions. I think that we need to become better people, and that's how we change. And I think that since that's, in my view, a supernatural process, there's always hope. I mean, I, I 100% feel on, on the spiritual part for sure. Uh, I just might slightly disagree with you on the philosophical part, but hey. Of course. And that's, that's, that's why we have conversations, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. To move, I guess, back to the comic, do you feel like Mr. Dolly Wall, Dolly Wall, because I like his. Is that how you pronounce it? I was stumbling over it. I was like, well, because Dolly Wall to Wall books. Yes, I know. That's a great pun. Yeah. So I wonder, do you feel like he might know? Because it's interesting. This blurb here it's dangerous but you know that if you absolutely must leave because these are teenagers remember that originally the writers wanted them to be 12 13 but that was a little too young so these are teenagers and he's letting them go out into an active shooter situation do you think he might have an inkling that these girls well, they are, are neighbors girls? yes they are i think we're meant to think about that um okay. i don't know for sure but i do think that we're meant to think about that I think it'd be kind of cool. I mean, I personally don't really care that much about secret identities because writers aren't particularly interested in writing that kind of plot. And honestly, if you read a lot of those really secret identity focused stories, they tend to be really nitpicky and they tend to make our main characters seem kind of like jerks, in my opinion. Mm. I would, if this were an ongoing title, which is about to end, would be if he does in fact know their identity, would be amazed to see it would be amazing to see an issue where it is his perspective going through all of the issues so like all of the stuff oh when that the would be great girls, like a day in the life yeah of, like when the back girls arrived Dollywall. up to and you would see him and i'm getting this idea because of i think there was a uh, peter parker spectacular spider-man where after the revelation that like mary jane knew all along basically uh well from a very particular fight that peter was spider-man and you start to and that issue i can't remember it's like 236 something like that i don't know they show like all these different fights from her perspective like she was there she's all this stuff so it'd be cool if but it's I'm trying to think of anything else i remember i really liked who was it that was like apologizing to them i don't know if it was was it oh yeah yeah yeah. just babs i mean she's not even pr- well she does appear at one point but she's more of a oh she's talking i didn't even realize this is fight oh five that she's speaking to okay uh so you know what a great team where babs is talking through this uh, mechanical dog there but i wish i had more to give you but mostly i want to say that i'm thinking about you both if you need talk which i, I thought was really beautiful but this is probably a moment that i would love to have barbara actually be there with them because she survived a shooting steph survived a shooting and now and i think you know being in this type of shooting situation is a completely different emotional uh you'll have a different emotional response so that that i think uh, we're missing that particular piece i am yeah. really puzzled by the choice to send babs off and part of me wonders if it was editorial who said you, you can't use babs <laughs> as much because we know that brian q miller was told that in the second half of his back row run that he couldn't use barbara as much and we know that, you know, Barbara is a big character in um, Nightwing and probably going to be in Titans as well. So maybe editorial was like, well, she's going to be in two books, so you got to oh pull her back. And that really bumps me out because I I still look back on that old. I mean, it's not old, but it feels old. Futures and Batgirl 
where you have all three Batgirls, you know, in the field being Batgirl together. And I still think that was what I hoped that this series would be more of. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, double standard for sure, because Batman can be in however many books, right? For I mean, to Marvel? be fair, Batman sells. And unfortunately, these books don't sell as much, even though I buy many copies. Wow. Oh, man. Uh, very sad with, with Grace here. We really, I thought it was really sad she... to see her falling off the wagon. That was yeah. really, even though, was really hard. Yeah, and even though she has this cold and hard exterior, she really cares for Rocky, and this is what's... Um, What's troubling her? Uh, it's interesting. She says, damn them, damn them to hell. I wondered who the them were. I was concerned it was the Batgirls. I don't know if it's the city has kind of let her down, even though it was picking herself up. Do you have any thoughts on who the them is? I think it's everything. I think she sees the world as collapsing around her. Yeah. And then here she is buying some guns. I'm surprised that the Batgirls didn't see her because she was right there. Well, she was right there in the middle of it. And then she kind of skirted to the side and then ran away. But I'm a bit nervous as to what's going to happen with race. That'd be very sad if uh, we kill her off as well. Um, It's a very nerve wracking story for sure. Yes. (laughs) Seeing Steph running from a sniper is like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? Anything else? Any burning questions? I really appreciated that they had Grace be one of the people buying a gun. And that that the Hills Angels, even though they're clearly Mutants? being dumb and foolish, yeah. they do see themselves as being as trying to protect their town. Yeah. So I, I don't think that it's a simplistic uh story dealing with a hot button issue. Uh so I appreciate that there there's more depth to characterization than I would have expected personally. Yeah, and I mean it begins with Grace talking about how the hill has grown and gotten better and then you've got these yeah it ends with uh the hill may not have grown and gotten better but actually these people really care about it but they're coming at it from two different angles the mutants come at it from one way and then the the back girls come at it from another so it's definitely different ideologies are a budding i guess are coming up into conflict with each other out of uh 10 cup nudes what would you give this issue well, last issue was really rough for me. So this feels like a maybe a bigger step up than it would have been coming after 14 and 15. What did I give it? I, I did the review on Batman. So I gave it a seven. I think I'd do like a seven and a half. Okay. I would agree with you and say um, seven and a half. I feel like I gave the previous issue a six. So it's a step up. I guess. Sorry. The, I the previous issue, I was just very disappointed in. I um, It didn't work for me. <laughs> and here I found the one panel that Barbara appeared. <laughs> Surrounded okay. by screens. Yeah, per usual. Okay. I well. really hope she comes out in the, at least the last issue, if not <laughs> the next issue. I, I really want League of Batgirls, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, they. it's interesting because I think people were teased, like, other people could join the Batgirls. And people were like, oh, is it going to be Charlotte? No. No one else is coming. This is it. Wait, who's Charlotte? Oh, Charlie? you mean Charlie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember Charlie people were, like thinking, oh, misfit. Betty and yeah. uh, who else? Helena. <laughs> like people had all these ideas that I was yeah. like, it's not going to happen. Honestly, I'm okay with the three main ones um, because they're my favorites. I do love almost all the other Batgirls who have been Batgirl, but these three have a real special place in my heart. So yes. I am okay with a focus on these three. Um, I just, I just kind of wish that it would have been three rather than two plus one, you know? Yeah. 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 I just said, yeah, two and a half. 
Um, (laughs) Oh, I guess since I have you here before I move on, what would your thoughts be if Steph and Cass entered a romantic relationship? I don't really see it. Um, I know a lot of people do. So I'm not saying that I don't see where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. But I personally have always seen Cass as very much... I don't want to necessarily put a label on her. Um, so I wouldn't say necessarily asexual, mm. but she's very, she's just so focused on other things and doesn't seem to get a lot out of romantic relationships. Sure. And, um, I have friends who really love the Steph and Cass relationship. I have friends who really love this, uh, the Cass and Supergirl, uh, Superboy relationship. So I, I'm not saying your ships are wrong or anything like that. I personally don't see it. I still really ship Tim and Steph together because I, I grew up with that relationship okay. and I really love those things. And I know Tim is, has his own relationships and is exploring his sexuality right now, but I still hope that they come back together at some point. Um, I'm also, you know, as a big Gotham Academy fan, um, you were the torchbearer for that for me. Um, I like this, uh, Steph sort of organically growing in a sort of flirtatious way with Kyle. I think yeah. Kyle's a great character. I am kind of sad that it seems like all Olive has sort of disappeared from the scene. But, you know, that happens in high school. People leave. And I think Kyle and Steph are both great characters. And I think they could be great together. So I'm interested in that as well. Yeah. So that's where I'm coming from. I'm not saying I don't see why people would think that Steph and Cass could get together romantically in this series. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. And it's not something that I would prefer to happen. Sure. But I'm not saying that it's it would be wrong um, for other people to say see that or want that. Sure. Yeah. I think I did see Brennan Fletcher had posted something about like a Gotham Academy, some sort of special coming out. I don't know. If yeah, unfortunately, that's really frustrating to me because so, you know, there was that Maps story in Bat- Batman. Yes. And then there was a black and white story with Maps and Batman. And then in the holiday anthology Saved by the Bell Rev, they had an uh, sort of a Gotham Academy reunion with the original creative team. So they had those three different stories and they're recollecting them all in one issue, but they're not even, so there's no original content. There's no new story and there's no new cover. Even they just took an interior shot and added a bunch of like Photoshop effects to it. And so I'm kind of bummed that there's not even a new cover because I've bought every single one of those because of the Gotham Academy content. I wanted those Gotham Academy stories. And so I have them all, but they're not even giving me a new cover to incentivize me to get this new piece of Gotham Academy. I'm just kind of irritated. (sighs) Sorry about that. Uh, I do also like the Stephanie and Kyle relationship, though. I think that's I don't understand it right now because it's very like, are they or are they not? They have these conversations that they're also confused about. Well, they're both getting over their last relationship. So to be they're sort of they don't want to be each other's rebound. Sure. And they said that kind of explicitly. Mm -hmm. But they also they are, you know, attracted to each other. They they do have those romantic sparks. So that's why I say I like the organic growing. It's not rushing. It's not instant shipping it's not otp but I, it feels real to me and fun yes yeah for sure i can't and i think i in the past have perceived Cass as being asexual i think that she's not aromantic though like i could see her being in a romantic sort of thing but there's like there's no sex involved um so i could almost see that as you know holding hands and things like that stuff but i think that would be tricky mm-hmm. for steph because i think steph is very much of a second being i think she loves with her whole body and heart sure 
Um, so I think that would be difficult for staff if that's how they wrote that. And again, this is a lot of like speculation. So, oh, of course, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I do actually have an anime watch list. I have two of them and one of them is in common. So first I finally watched Fruits Basket Prelude, which came out in 2022. It was an hour and a half. Uh, this is a synopsis. Despite Kyoku Honda's tragic death, her vivid memory lives on providing guidance through times of hardship to her close ones. However, Kyoku was not always the wise and radiant person that she is fondly remembered as in the present day by her daughter Toru. Feeling deserted by her own family and rejected by society, a young Kyoko abandoned stability for a life of delinquency, jeopardizing her education and future. Fortunately, her descent into despair is interrupted by a fateful encounter with her husband-to-be, Katsuya, who has recently started his teaching internship at her school. Yes, don't look too closely at the ages there, Elizabeth. I was thinking about that. I was watching. With the composure surprisingly unaffected by Kyoko's tantrums, Katsuya quickly wins her over through his gentleness and attention toward her sincere gestures that she has never received before. As the two grow closer together, Kyoko opens her tormented heart to him and along with it, adore to new horizons. And they don't get together until um, he's actually like of age. Uh, and then part of it, like uh, maybe like 20 minutes or so was a refresher in the uh, POV of Kyo and as he and Toru got together and then you see like some new snippets of his and Toru's life um, post the season three finale. But yeah, this was good, but it was, it was sad. It was hard to watch and then suzume which just came out 2023 you can probably find it in theaters i think it literally came out last friday so you could probably find it two hours here we go on her way to school one day suzume Iwato stumbles upon Sota Munakata, a young man searching for abandoned areas. The high school girl directs Sota to a nearby ruin, but out of pure curiosity, she herself decides to head to the same destination. Once there, Suzume discovers an isolated door with a dreamlike universe lying beyond it, a place that she can see and feel but not enter. A strange stone rests on the ground nearby, but it turns into a cat-like creature and scurries away when Suzume lifts it. Suddenly afraid, she heads back toward her school, not realizing that her act of leaving the door open will have consequences. And, you know, removing the thing, too. With the keystone released, the evil within the other universe can now freely escape and wreak havoc throughout Japan. Intending to correct her dangerous mistake, Suzume joins Sota, whose true goal is to prevent evil from festering in finding and locking all open doors before the country is destroyed by these So you've seen Suzume. What are your thoughts on Suzume? Um, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely beautiful, as Mm -hmm. all Makoto Shinkai's um, films are. Well, okay. I've only seen four of his films. I've seen um, The Place We Were Promised When We Were Young, or however that's um, translated, uh, Your Name, Mm -hmm. Weathering With You, and Suzume. Your Name broke my heart. It's so powerful and painful. Uh, I don't know if I can rewatch it for quite a while, just because of how painful that revelation in the middle is. I think my favorite is probably Weathering With You, even though I acknowledge it's not quite as good as Your Name. Your name and so i would say that suzume wasn't quite as good as either your name or weathering with you but it was still really really good and um just a feast for the eyes and um ears because he, he does a great job with sound design and music well also did is it five centimeters per second so i know that's a film he's done but i refuse to watch it because everyone tells me it's super depressing it is very sad yeah so yes. i was i struggled enough with your name that i don't okay. want to be the sad version of that you haven't seen graveyard of the fireflies have you I refuse. Okay, good job. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you, if you, um, yes. So I, I wouldn't recommend that. I, your name is my favorite. Um, I have watched that multiple it's times. Amazing. So I do very much love that. 
So going into Suzume, I knew nothing about it. I had seen a reel on Instagram that was just like a really quick snippet of like her opening that door and the guy and that was it. I had no idea. And then uh, an IGN person had done another reel that said like, if you like body switching from your name, then you'll like this because a guy turns into a chair. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what that means at all. And I had done a lot of work on Monday and it, at work because I wasn't called to sub anyone. And so I was like, let me, well, I think I'm going to go see Suzume. So I got to go see Suzume. And again, no expectations. Yeah, it was marvelous. I think I think your name is still my number one. But this is like, really, it's like almost overlapping in number two, dealing with grief and love. And oh, my gosh, yeah, they're just I was just talking with Harry last night when we were playing video games that it's also one of the few if perhaps the only anime feature film or television show that a character is frequently changing hairstyle and clothing because Suzume in each place, right, has a different hairstyle and she's getting clothing from people, which that's a, a hilarious thing is when like these people are getting her to do stuff like clean their little boarding house, babysit the children. But uh, I want to watch it again to see like how does her hairstyle reflect what she's doing at that point, you know, at that particular city. And then of course, at the very end, she goes back because she kind of like putting on her her armor, goes back to her original hairstyle and uh, school get up and everything. So it's very much like a ring comp position. But that was just something like I really latch on to because you just maybe there's one hairstyle change because we see that in your name. Or if you watch anime series, maybe there'll be changes in school uniform because they've aged up in hairstyle. So you can tell that there's something. So that was just something that was pretty cool. Loved the soundtrack. I've been listening to that as at work as I've been doing some schoolwork. Yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough uh, for that. It was very heartbreaking at the end when Gosh, I, I don't want to like spoil too much, but just like the moment where she's lost that one th- and then the the totem is is like, now we can be together and she like just lambasts. No. And it was so, and then, yeah, and then that cat is, is um, yeah. That was just, one creepy cat. Oh man, turns it. And the other one was when it like really took a turn was on that road trip and her aunt lays into her and I was like, oh, that was whoa, intense. whoa, whoa. It was intense. So there, there was definitely a lot going on in there, which I think is, is the beauty of his films is that you have this very in-your-face storyline, but at the kind of like what I like about Ari Adner's films, but at the back, you've got something else that's actually um, underneath the surface. That's a, a deeper theme. So yeah, highly recommend. Did you see the the dub or the sub? I always see um, dubbed because okay. to me, film is a visual medium. And if I'm reading subtitles, I don't catch all the visual details. Okay. Plus, I don't speak Japanese. So <laughs> when I hear Japanese, it distracts me more than I get the emotion because the, the cadences, inflection, and the way they express themselves is not how I expect as an English speaker. So to me, dubbing, as long as it's done well, which these days, because of the anime community in the US, it tends to be done pretty well, is the preferable option. And I know that makes me a heretic, but you know what? Okay. I mean, I know that there are people obviously that are purists and, and might get on you for that, but I think it's it's choice. I, with like these new features, I definitely go into the sub. I, so like Bell, which I really loved, Your Name and this. Yeah, I've only seen it in the original Japanese and the subtitle. And like all the Miyazaki films that I see in the dub, just because that's where I first watched them. And I love those voice casts. For me with subtitles in general, I am more engaged uh, 
with foreign films, I think, than English speaking films, which sounds interesting because of where my attention is. So I'm like really in there. I am watching facial features and seeing what's going on. I am listening to their voice and I'm reading. So it's like I'm really in there and it's it's more impactful for me. But it takes a lot of like attention. Okay. Last thing is literature recommendation. Are you reading anything you would like to recommend to the peoples? Not the boys, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I am actually, I listen to this great podcast called The Rest is History uh, with um, Tom Holland, not the Spider-Man actor, a British historian, and Dominic Sandbrook. And they just did a Hundred Years War series, and they recommended the the book Sir Nigel by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Mm. um, who's most famous, of course, for writing Sherlock Holmes. But he thought this was better. I don't think he was right, but it's still quite fun. It's a, you know, heroic English versus French chivalry, all that kind of classic uh, knightly combat stuff. Have you read Don Quixote? I have not read the original. I read various um, abridgments and simplifications of it. Gotcha. um, But not that one. I just wondered since, you know, it deals with kind of anything. Okay. And for me... I read assessment again and student success in a differentiated classroom for the second year in a row. Okay. I read the Stonewall Reader, which is by various writers, and it's a collection of excerpts and essays from before Stonewall, during Stonewall, and after the Stonewall riots. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy Bloom, which you can find on the next Required Reading with Tom and Stella coming out in May even though all those files are gone. And I also finished, which took me a, a long time because I was reading like one or two essays a day, which I recommend kind of taking space and thinking about it. The 1619 Project, A New Origin Story. It says by Nicole Hannah-Jones, but really it's it's by various authors um, that are writing on different essays. And uh, of course, gets you to think about things in a different way. I learned a lot of a lot of stuff, so I read. Okay, Ian, thank you so much for being here. How can listeners slash viewers support you where can they find you my twitter at ibm miller on twitter i tweet a lot mostly about comics but also some about philosophy and theology and various thoughts i do write a lot for the batman universe so batmanuniverse.net just search up my name ian miller Uh, i am one of the main hosts for the batman universe comic podcast and on my youtube which is miller number one so that's my name Miller and then the word number and then the numeral one. I do monthly reactions to DC solicitations. So if you want to know what I think about what's coming, you can watch me for 30 to 40 minutes just blabbing. There you go. Oh, are you still watching Gotham Knights? Yes. Has I mean, there was an better? episode this week, but okay. I am up to date. I think that the show is absolutely terrible. <laughs> very poorly written, okay. very poorly thought through, uh-huh. but I actually like Stephanie Brown. I think it's a good okay. cast for her. And even though I don't like the fact that they've made her sort of a part of the wealthy elite kids, mm-hmm. um, they have kept her her mom being an addict, which okay. I, I appreciate because that actually hasn't been in the comics for quite a while. And they're, as a fan of Batman Eternal, there's definitely a lot of pieces of that that they've woven into her character and her relationships with the other characters. So I don't recommend the show, okay. but I, I am, I'm still watching for my Stephanie Brown. Have What's-His-Face and Duella had hate sex yet? I do not believe that anyone has had sex unless you count Steph making out with, with that, that guy. In the pot. guy. I don't think they had <laughs> sex, though. No, I think they were caught before. Yeah. Right. So there has been no sex by the kids. So there has been sex by Whoa. adult characters. Okay. Harper Rowe, still a good character? I like Harper Rowe in the comics. I don't think she's particularly well done in the show. Oh, okay. Did you think that in the pilot? Well, I think everyone's terrible with the pilot. Like, oh, really, I thought really she was bad. the best part of the pilot. Um, with the exception of Robin dropping down there, Carrie Kelly. 
I I didn't think that almost anyone was that good in the pilot. Okay, okay. Except, I, I mean, and to be fair, I am mostly watching, and I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, Stephanie, I, I watch while there's Stephanie. Oh, okay, I, I see, I see. So I'm watching, but I'm really only paying attention when Steph's on screen. I understand. Carrie Kelly, is she leading the team? No, she's more of kind of a rogue agent. She oh, contributes, but she does a lot more like stuff on her own. That's how I feel. I, I haven't done a super analysis, but she mm-hmm. does a lot of like alone missions or missions where she's sort of taking the initiative by herself. Okay, okay. And which makes sense since she's the one who's sure. most trained in it, you know? Okay. Well, maybe I'll hate watch it. Who knows? It's not really worth it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. Well, remember, you can send any questions or comments to backrolleroracle at gmail.com. If you have anything you want to say to Ian, I can always forward it on to him. I always offer this, but no one has taken me up on it, especially with with uh, with Donovan. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Backroll the Oracle. Subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version. Support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon and follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter. Well, and once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time, first Birds of Prey and then War Games. What do we say here? Fly on, Baps lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?